You're listening to The Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of The Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan, and Martin Wickens. Some pretty, uh, pretty impressive dance moves there. If I ever want to irritate my children, I just start pulling that stuff out, and they just their their eyes roll so hard, you know, they just fall out of their head and go across the floor and down. Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. So there's a, in my mind, very real sense in which we're going to violate the probably number one criticism we receive for this podcast, and that is that we tend to speak exclusively in ministry terms uh, or in pastoral terms. I guess would be the more more accurate uh, representation of that criticism. And today our topic is um, helping young men with the decision of whether or not they they would go into vocational ministry. And I think, I don't know, maybe we don't feed into the criticism 100%, but um, we do want to address this directly. We're coming down to the end of this season of the Issues podcast. And we just believe that there are a lot of young men out there who have either tremendous ministry potential or um, are very clearly called to ministry who are just not responding. Do you guys see a lot of that? I know that we're starting a a school in the fall, Lord willing, and um, everyone is telling me the same thing, that it's just, it's very difficult right now to find teachers. There's a shortage of Christian educators. There is a shortage of pastors willing to take on churches. That's what I'm seeing. I think there's some evidence of that on it, and it shows up first in more rural churches. Rural, can I say that word correctly? In more rural churches or smaller churches, that's where you start to see that pressure first. And mm-hmm. since writing next, I've talked to a fair amount of people, you know, or churches that are looking for for pastors. And maybe I'm just noticing it more. I don't know. If that's possible, but it seems like there's a not as many available pastors as there used to be. I don't have an educated opinion about that. It's just an opinion. I don't have any stats to prove that, but it seems to be that way. Martin, what do you see? Let me just briefly add, I think that tracks with Bible college enrollment, right? Which we've talked about before to some extent Mm -hmm. is down, which tracks with that. No, I would agree. Um, Anecdotally, uh, I feel like I hear from a lot of places, uh, a lot of churches looking for a pastor. And it just seems like, there are not as many men going into the ministry. And my experience here in the States on the ground is limited, but uh, from what I'm hearing, from what I'm noticing, it does seem like there is a, a come in catastrophe might be too strong of a word, but maybe not. Uh, but I, I think the decline in numbers of young men going into the ministry and the need for men to stand in the pulpits is that the problem's growing greater. Do you all think that that has been a more recent development? For instance, it seems to me, and I wasn't alive during the 60s and 70s, but it seemed to me like there was just this big movement of men who were jumping in, going into pastoral ministry uh, or vocational ministry of some kind, um, whereas now it's it's almost as if the pendulum has swung the other direction and churches are growing and people, people are, you know, People are converting to Christianity. Yes, that's happening. But are they being sent out? Are they going into ministry? It just seems like it's it's a different dynamic in this generation. 
you can't know who God is calling and who isn't, right? Because none of us right. are God. I would argue God is still calling men into the ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. There was, speaking of America, there was a greater acceptance of religion amongst all classes of people, all types of people in the 50s, 60s, and 70s than there has been in the last 20, 25 years. So, you know, your use of the term pendulum, I think, is very accurate there. And if there's less people who are responding religiously as a whole in American society, there would then be less people responding to the to the call or the desire to enter vocational ministry, to use your term. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Just go ahead, Martin. No, I was going to say, and it would be interesting to hear from anyone who listens to the podcast who's involved with yes. Bible colleges in any way and just say, you know, whether again, they, they kind of just look and say, you know what, the campus feels a little bit less full than it used to be. And I'm sure many do have the the numbers to be able to indicate a decline or an, you know, an increase, whatever it may be. But I know you, you mentioned about um, finding Christian school teachers, and that was mentioned by uh, the, the president of Ambassador Baptist College. Uh, I think it was last year he mentioned that, um, you know, they're really seeing a decline in the number of people who are willing to be trained to go into Christian schools. But again, I think that's going to feed into the issue. You've got fewer young people getting a Christian education, potentially. Fewer young people then grow right. into be those young men being trained in Bible colleges. And it's kind of cyclical. And I, I don't want this conversation to be negative or depressing in any way. Right. Uh, but I think it's it's a realistic look at where we're at with the understanding that God can do great things and turn it around. Yeah, I agree with what you said about not wanting the conversation to trend negative. I think that the acknowledgement of the negative has to be part of what we cover up front. Um, and yes. some some of what we acknowledge today, I th- I think it's I think it's there are symptomatic issues, right? There are things that we see that are symptomatic of deeper problems, and maybe that'll that will peel back a little bit more as we speak. Um, but you know, if you read the Bible, the ministry is always promoted as a good thing. The Apostle Paul, he said, "I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who yeah. hath enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry." He told Timothy, he said, "If you desire the office of a bishop, you desire a good work." So it should be that Christians view vocational ministry as a good work or a good thing. That being mm-hmm. said, I wonder, and this is a question that we can unpack a little bit if we'd like to. I wonder if the reason that there are fewer youth, young men, and even young women to an extent, depending on the aspect of ministry that that we're we're talking about, are going into going into that the ministry. And maybe one of the, the reasons that, that that is the case is because we've seen so many bad portrayals of ministry. Ministry has not been painted in a in a biblical light, but in a negative light. You know, I I think that one of the the biggest hangups is that while in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and even 80s, which my parents would have been in Bible college in the 80s, um, I think there was this really big resurgence and excitement of the youth, young adults of that age going into ministry. And then you fast forward an entire generation. I'm 35 years old. And a lot of my contemporaries, they saw their parents in ministry over the last 35 years, um, and they just they didn't like what they saw. It wasn't necessarily that they didn't like what their parents did, but maybe what they view is how the ministry treated them. Um, that could be. But isn't, but isn't that indicative of a? And I'm speaking broadly here. 
Mm-hmm. Isn't that indicative of a more selfish view, a more carnal view? Because the ministry has always had, and I'm a, f- I don't like to use the word fan. I'm not a fan of the ministry. I love being in the ministry. Anybody yes, that knows me too. knows I love being in the ministry. But it's always been difficult. It's always been hard. It's always right. been a burden. It's always something that you must carry. Um, mm-hmm. Paul Paul calls it the burden of all the churches. Right that that sense of 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 heaviness that I must carry. But if a, if a generation looks at you know its parents in the ministry or its pastors and says I don't want that kind of a life, isn't that in some real sense selfish? I'll answer your question with a question. Do you think? this generation is more selfish than other generations? <laughs> I kind of to, to make you the bad guy if you answer that <laughs> without thinking, right? I, I Martin, think, go ahead. Go ahead. If, if I can jump talk, in, Martin, maybe um, I'll get out of a jam. Go ahead. Yeah. I would say that the selfishness of this generation is more enabled. Okay. So human nature is, is, is always the same. But mm-hmm. when times are hard, you don't have the luxury of selfishness. And, you know, I think in, in tougher times, tougher societies, you know, selfishness is a luxury you can't afford. And, you know, I, I think that's something that this generation yes. is so enabled by the luxury uh, and the plenty, the materialism, but also I think enabled by a style of parenting, which feeds into that. And... Mm-hmm. And probably an abuse of the American dream. Um, and so I wouldn't say the generation is more selfish, but they have the luxury of indulging in it. I like how you answered that because everybody knows I'm, I'm going to stick up for my generation here a little bit. But, but the fact is that you're right. The enablement of selfishness is, is greater in this day. Now, to that very point, is I know a lot of people who went into ministry in the 70s and 80s who toward the end of their ministry after having been in for 30 or 40 years are very negative about the ministry. Mm -hmm. And I think that that actually kind of has turned a lot of the young people, the Christian second and third generation has turned them off from the desire to do vocational ministry in a a way that is is exciting, adventurous, and maybe a little risky uh, in all of the right ways. See, I can see, I can see how that would make people who who were around that not interested in the ministry. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I just don't see that in the circle of people that I'm in. Okay. And I realize we must be, you know, I'm not accusing you of, of telling untruth or being wrong in your observation. I just think of the people I know that have been in the ministry a long time, and they are. I can't think of anybody who's who's cynical or bitter. I would have to really think for a long time to come up with someone who just well, wasn't happy thinking about the way things had turned out. Yeah, but are you thinking more about those preachers that are just angry at the world, they're angry at everything, and they don't show any joy in the ministry, or they're actually very discontent with having been a pastor? I'm choosing my words carefully here. Um, <laughs> you can be open with us. We won't tell anyone. It can just be between the three of us. This is just, just between the three us. of us. Yeah, no one else is listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, and it's funny. I don't think I realized Tom's face earlier when I asked that question. He goes, "Ah, uh, I don't don't want to answer that." Um, maybe a little bit of a minefield here, but what I'm referring to specifically is a generation of pastors, and maybe all from a Mm, 
from a similar um, background or sending station genre of sending station that feel as if they got sold a bill of goods in how the ministry was supposed to operate. And now they're toward the end of their ministries and, and it looks nothing like what they thought it was. I'm trying to be very careful. <laughs> no, I, I think that's where we'll us, Martin is texting us stuff in the chat that we're not supposed to be saying <laughs> here in the podcast. And I disagree with you about that because if anybody would know, I would know. And I just don't see that. Uh-huh. I just don't. Man, I, I hear it a lot, Tom. That's funny. Not not from not from my family. I really genuinely. But um But to yeah. your point, regardless of of my observations and yours, to your point, people who are negative about being in the ministry will certainly squelch the desire of others around them or in their influence yeah. to enter it. Right. I pray often that the Lord will give me joy in serving Jesus and that it will be visible not just to my children, but to my church and to the people whom I serve. And God has sure. given me joy in the ministry. I love the ministry. Hard days, Amen. hard times, but I love it. And I yeah. and I hope that's visible. And it may kind of go hand in hand with the, you know, churches closing with Christian populations in decline. You know, it, it's difficult to grow up in a ministry where it always seems to be a fight for, for survival and so even if it's no direct connection with the pastor, they kind of look and they say, well, there's, is there a future in this? You know, what can I do? Now, some men will rise to the challenge and say, I want to get into this. You know, I want to use my life to make a difference. But it may be that others look and say, well, uh, you know, th- there's there's no future here. Mm. Yeah, okay. You- Go ahead, Tom. I was just going to ask if either of you – in your consideration of the ministry, because neither of you decided overnight to enter the ministry, as I remember your stories, and I know I didn't, did either of you have to get over someone else's negative example or negative spirit? Personally, no. 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 But it's funny how there there would be, and again, I'm trying, I don't want to point anyone out or, or pretend like I'm just surrounded by people who are the opposite, but I know people from the exact same background as I have, the the very, very similar fibers um, of, uh, of development who would look at the way that ministry was portrayed to them. And, uh, and I think probably the most, the most common portrayal of ministry was the tough guy, like the John Wayne, um, you know, warrior type minister. And the kind of guy who would go out and literally give everything and, and blood, sweat, and tears and all of that, and that intense version of ministry, then at the end of end of the life, you know, you turn around and go, wow, look, look what I, I lost my family because I went so hardcore in, in my ministry. Um, or, or we, we didn't have enough family time or, you know, and I just, I just see some of that. I hear a lot of that. I get that, that feeling from my generation. And so I just wonder if maybe that's been part of it. Now, you know, there are other portrayals of ministry that are inaccurate and bad. I don't know that they really have a bearing on whether or not people are entering the ministry, but the Hollywood version of ministry is very, you know, very yuck. It's just, it's unbiblical. It's very passive. Yeah. 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 When's the last time you saw a a minister presented in a Hollywood production as a good thing? And the answer is hardly ever, if, if ever. I saw a headline recently, and I don't remember who it was, and I don't think it was even – it's not even a Christian man, 
but I, I seem to remember him saying that he saw there was going to be a minister in, in the script and automatically he said, I bet he's going to be the bad guy. And as he read yeah. on, it was. And he was kind of just pointing it out as a, you know, it was a trope. It was just like a something that Hollywood does all the time. And this was an unsaved man, as I, as I understand it. Um, and so, yeah, I think very often that is the way, you know, the ministry is depicted in so to, the movies. So to contrast that then, I would I would point to someone like Paul who who gave his life for the Lord but when he comes down to the end he doesn't regret anything he doesn't right. he doesn't wish he had done something different he was obviously very talented had lots of tr- tremendous opportunities chose to give his life in service to this obscure tribal sect you know off in the corner of the Roman Empire and at the end he was thrilled he says I fought a good fight I finished my course I've kept the faith henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness and he goes on about how the Lord has rewarded him for it. And he's he's the yeah. biblical view is that you come to the end and you are just just grateful, just privileged that you got to Amen. wear the Lord's livery, that you you got to be one of his men, that you got to serve him by serving his people. Mm. It is such a yeah. mighty, mighty privilege, such an honor. And you you very positively stated what I think the inverse is doing damage in, which is that a lot of times we see as younger as younger men, we see older men in ministry who are left with no joy. And I mm. think that's a deterrent. That's just think, opinion and I'm I'm careful not yeah. to be critical, but but I see that and it's like, man, what there should be great there should be more joy the closer you get to heaven. Amen. As opposed to less. Um, yeah, I think Tom, you brought out an interesting point there. In Paul, you see a that blend, that balance that, humanly speaking, we get wrong. So, on the one hand, you've got men who have suffered in the ministry, and it's robbed them of their joy. And then on the other side of it, you've got Hollywood, which makes it out to be, you know, some you know light, soft, you know, there's, there's no teeth to it. And, you know, Paul was realistic about the suffering, but he was also realistic about the joy. And that would be what we should endeavor to put across, you know. So, yeah, there's going to be difficult days, um, but it's worth it. It's always worth it. Psalm 16 says there's joy in the presence of God. Mm -hmm, We get mm -hmm. to be men. We get to be. It is it is a privilege. We get to spend more time with him than other people do. We get mm-hmm. to be in his word more. We should have more joy, right? If if the presence <laughs> of God brings joy, we should have more, not less. That's right. That's right. So Martin, I'm curious, you know, you you are a pastor, you've been in ministry for a long time. You've been very open even on this podcast of testimonies <clears throat> of sometimes what the struggle of ministry looks like and but how did you get your start? What made you what made you want to join in with something that so many people would re- reject or 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 never even consider? Is he gone? There's there's a very there's been a lot of cutting in and out, Kosa, can you hear me? I can hear you.
Okay, I'll keep going. Um, I can hear you now, so there's just a lot of lag, it seems like. Really? Okay, I'll launch you. Okay, it seems to be okay now. So you, you basically asked me how I got my call into ministry. Is that what you were saying? Yes. Okay. I would say that my call to ministry was very slow because I didn't know it was happening. My pastor mm-hmm. was considerably older than me, and I I didn't know anybody else called to preach, you know, my age or within 20 years of my age. And so when I started feeling like the Lord wanted me to do something for him, I, I didn't know how to define it, how to explain it. And so it was a very slow process coming to an understanding that God was calling me to preach. Um, you know, I knew a number of pastors and missionaries, but their calling was quite a long while before I was even alive. And so, yeah, it took a while. It was kind of an unusual thing. But then one day um, during a church service, I, I knew that God was calling me to preach and I, I guess the Lord had shown me enough. And so I just remember um, sat in Brimpton Baptist Church. Uh, I was sat towards the back under the balcony, a very small balcony. You could reach up and, and touch it. Actually, during uh, gym class, we would get changed in the church during the school. And I remember climbing up into the balcony from the pews below. So anyway, it was very small. Um, and I just remember knowing that God wanted me to preach. And so I surrendered to preach, having no idea how you get from that burden. Cause I couldn't escape it. I mean, it, it was just something mm-hmm, yeah. that was relentless and I did put conditions on it initially. I can't say I surrendered and I surrender all and that was everything. Um, I surrendered to preach, but it wasn't going to be in a small church plant. It wasn't going to be in Britain. And, you know, initially for the first 15 years, I guess, of my ministry, it was in Britain, in the United Kingdom. And it was in predominantly small churches where, you know, if we had 10 people at times, I'd be very pleased. I had services where nobody showed up at all including my own family. So, um, yeah, and then having called to preach, I, you know, I went with my pastor and I, I just said, well, what now? And, and he was a great pastor, a great man. He was he was a lot more informal, I guess, in many ways than I would later grow to be. And I remember quite early on after I was called to preach, you know, he met with me. We, we did, He taught me the Bible, um, took me through discipleship further. And I remember one Sunday morning he said, uh, do you want to speak this evening? And I always loved speaking to my pastor. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll sit down, have a cup of tea. We'll, we'll speak. And during the evening service, you know, as he got up to do the announcements, I remember him saying, well, we've got a special uh, speaker this evening. And so in a couple of hymns, uh, I'll, I'll invite him up. And it just dawned on me. I'm like, oh, speak. Now, nah, okay. So I must have looked at him with blind terror, like, I, no, no. And so he must have got the point. And so when it came time, he just uh, said, well, actually, there's a change of plans and turn in your Bibles too. And that was it. Um, and then the Lord just, you know, as far as training and everything. But, you know, I'm thankful. I had, you know, my my saved parents encouraged me. My unsaved family didn't understand it. Um. I had one family member who I love dearly and is just, you know, had no malice, but, you know, she was in a very, very good job. 
And she said, you know, when this, when you go through this phase, let me know. And as an 18 year old, 17 year old young man, and she Mm. said, you know, when you grow out of this phase, let me know. I can get you an apprenticeship. You'll have a company car. You'll get full salary. And there were times in my ministry when I look back and I thought, man, that would be pretty comfortable now. But at the time, just immediately, I said, no, this isn't a phase. You know, my life belongs to the Lord. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, much of my family was was very encouraging, not all of them. And my church was was very encouraging. So that that basically is, is what the Lord did in my life. And Tom, I, I know that you're, um, were you going to say something? I'm sorry. I was going to just go back to Martin about when you were contemplating it before you decided it, did you speak with anybody about it? I think maybe my my best friend at the time, one of my pastor's sons, you know, I, I told him, I think, you know, God's called me to be a missionary, uh, which initially it was, was my plan. I wanted to go to Rwanda. Um, and, you know, but that was when I was maybe 14, I guess. Uh, and again, not really understanding what it meant. I, I'm thankful sure. for Christian biographies that I was encouraged to read. But, mm-hmm. you know, Hudson Taylor's call was a, a world away from – you know, this little kid in some remote corner of rural England. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's a beautiful what an, story. That is what an encouraging story. Right. Tom, I know your father was a pastor, correct? But yes, sir. did that have any bearing on your decision to go into ministry? Did it, did it make you not want to go into the ministry? How, how did you respond to that? It didn't have bearing in the sense of, you know, I wasn't one of those mama called and papa sent preachers. Uh, It didn't have bearing in the sense that I resented the way we lived and didn't want to live that way. Uh, It helped me to count the cost, but it didn't have bearing in that sense. It did have bearing in the sense that when you're a kid in a pastor's home, especially a male child, some church member or other, and often many church members many times will look at you and say, so are you going to be a preacher like your daddy? <laughs> and so because of that, you're forced to confront it. It, it. it comes to you often in a generally aggravating sort of way. Mm-hmm. And so that's how it first came to me. That's how it, you know, it, 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 it would repeatedly come to me. I, you know, yeah. I, dressed in a suit and tie like my dad. I carried a Bible like my dad. I sang in the choir, you know, et cetera. Oh, you're going to be just like your dad. Be a preacher when you grow up. And, I, and, and I'm grinding my teeth. You know, I'm just like tired of this question. Um, <laughs> but that did drive a, a gradual consideration of it. If that answers At what question. point? It does. Yeah, at what point did you did you surrender to that? Or I think I like the way you said it to Martin. You said there's a, there was a call, but then you made a decision. So how did that play out for you? That, you know, what I spoke about in relation to growing up in a pastor's home, that forced a consideration of it, in addition to which I would I would regularly go to youth rallies and pastor's conferences with my with my parents where it was brought up in the preaching. And I'm thankful for that. Yes. Uh, I think it can be done badly. And I, I may speak more about that here in just a moment. But just the idea of of a preacher presenting that um, that in, in a message, I think, is a biblical thing and a, a the older I get as a preacher, the more I see the wisdom of it and try to include it. But And so that forced a consideration of it. I used to walk on my paper out. I got a paper out when I was nine. And so, you know, you spend time alone every day, an hour or so alone every day, and your mind's wandering, you know, and and 
And I, I looked at it from a lot of different angles. I looked at it from the financial angle because we were so broke when I was a kid. I looked at it from the angle of the other things that I thought maybe I wanted to do. Everybody thinks about what they're going to do, what they're going to be when they grow up. But Martin said something that's really very applicable to me as well, which was I couldn't get away from it. Mm-hmm. It just And it wasn't just because it kept coming back to me by way of people. I couldn't get away from it in my own mind, in my own heart. So I had considered it very long when I went to camp the summer I was turned 14. And the one of the preachers that night preached a message. Um, I don't remember much about the message. The invitation was for young men to surrender the ministry. I wrote about it in Schizophrenic. It was very badly done. It was very manipulative. It was very high pressure. Uh, and as a consequence, almost every young man in that tabernacle that night surrendered, quote unquote, to the ministry. I did as well. And of course, I'm still preaching. And I don't know that any of those other young men who surrendered that night in 1987 are. In fact, I don't think any of them are. But it was it was the long, careful consideration of that in my heart and mind. And the Lord used even a bad, high-pressure invitation to move me to the place of saying, you know what, I'm just going to decide this is what I'm going to do. And when I made that decision, in my own mind, I can remember sitting on the front row because I sat around the front row that whole week. I can remember in my own mind, almost like I was pulling a curtain down on everything else I'd ever considered doing. Um, and it's like I closed that off and those were no longer an option. You know, mm-hmm. Martin, you talked about, you know, your your relative who came to you and said, when you get through this phase and you knew it wasn't going to be a phase. And when I made that decision, I knew this was a lifetime decision. It was not. Mm-hmm. I had counted the cost and and all of that slow process and all of those things, the Lord working upon my heart over really a, a two and three year time period really helped when I made the decision that it was a permanent decision. How uh, how old did you say you were again? I was 14. And you knew? I, I knew I had decided that. I wouldn't say I knew 100% sure that God had called me for probably another several years. As I, as I progressed as a teenager going through high school, I took every opportunity I could to preach. I began to study the Bible on other aspects. Most of that was self-driven. But the more that I preached, the more the, 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 the certainty grew in me, if that made sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I would preach in children's church. I'd preach on the bus route. I would preach you know, five-minute sermons to my youth group, things like that. And the more preaching that I did, the more I thought about preaching, the more, I, the more it was on my mind all the time. And I would say by the time I finished high school, I was, and this is a very bold statement to make, I was as sure that I had been made to preach as I was sure I was saved. I was that certain about it. That certainty grew after the decision I made that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to spend my life. Yeah. See, it was very different, you know, in terms of you saying, you know, there were a lot of people had maybe not pressure, maybe there was some pressure, you know, you're the preacher's son, so you're going to be a preacher. Um, you know, I never had any of that, apart from maybe one man, Richard Strutt. He was a, an old saint, um, good good man, um, but he gave me the nickname Prophet when I was, I don't know, 10 or 11 or something like that. Uh, but outside of that, I, I guess my pastor, I'm sure my pastor had hopes that someone under his ministry would be called but there was never that pressure or real expectation there. 
And Stephen, I was wondering with you again, coming from a a family of of pastors, was mm-hmm. there that same experience that Tom had, or something similar? Yes, there definitely. So very similar to Tom in that was raised in church, um, and raised in a in a particular ministry family where I had opportunity to be at a lot of or get a lot of exposure to other preaching and preachers. Uh, I think back to all of the different preachers that I heard preach at least once in my life. I mean, I, um, I heard Lee Robertson preach. I heard Tom Malone preach. I heard Curtis Hudson preach. I don't remember that one very well. Um, I heard Jack Isles preach. I I've heard a lot of men who have, who have passed away and, and passed away early in my life. And the Lord let those things stick with me. Now, yes, there was positive pressure and there was the pressure like Tom mentioned. Some would say, are you going to be a preacher um, like your dad or like your grandfather or whatever. I don't, I don't specifically recall that ever happening, but I, I'm sure it was there. I, I would just say for me that it was something that I never resented and always wanted. My family was always big on ministry in the sense that it was just so naturally a part of what we did. They loved it. Um, they they didn't they never complained about it i mean i you know my parents i don't ever recall them complaining i know there were times where finances were tight i know there were times when when other preachers hurt them uh, other christians hurt them but i don't recall a spirit of of bitterness or resentment in our home ever so i'm sure that played into why the willingness was there i'll be a little more bold than tom tom said that you know he he was as sure that he was made to minister or preach as he was saved, I doubted my salvation 10 times more than I doubted my call to preach. I mean, there was just in my mind, I I, even now I can think back to it. I was at Indian Creek Baptist camp. I was 12 years old. It was junior camp. I mean, that, that was one of the greatest weeks of my life. It was one of my first camp weeks ever. Um, and the preacher was preaching, Brother Jerry Ross, he pastors up in Jasonville, Indiana, and he's preaching on Jeremiah 1. And I recall the the very, God actually used these things to confirm uh, to me that, that he was definitely working on my heart. Number one, I did not pay good attention during that service. Um, <laughs> it was an, it's an outdoor tabernacle with a roof over your head, but no walls. I mean, I, my mind was anywhere but there. It was the last service of the week. I was ready to go home. I was tired. And I just remember when he said, that God chose Jeremiah in the womb before he was even born. I recall a very distinct moving of the spirit of God in my heart saying, I have a purpose for you as well. And it is to preach the gospel. I didn't hear those words. You guys know what I mean, but I knew what it was. I mean, very clearly. And, and when they asked if there were any young men who had a desire to preach and would surrender their lives to preach, it was not, was not a high pressure invitation. It was junior camp. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been a part of some of the services like what you described, Tom, and this was not that. And they said, if young men, if you feel like God wants you to be a preacher of the gospel and, and full-time ministry, you come to the altar and pray. And I went forward and prayed. And my uncle, who you actually served with in college, Tom, he came up and put his arm around me at the altar and he looked at me and he said, why are you here? And I said, God wants me to be a preacher. And I said it with fear and trembling. I didn't say it with a lot of certainty. I just was like, no, this is this. My eyes were big bulging out of my head. And I never forget what he said next because it was not, it, it wasn't necessarily encouraging, but it wasn't discouraging. He just said, are you sure? 
I was yeah, like, right. I remember. Oh, okay. Uh, and I said, <laughs> and, and that was what I needed to hear because I looked at him and I thought, and I went, yep. Yep. I'm sure. And because God used that in my life. Now I grew up in ministry, in a ministry home. My dad was not the pastor, but my grandfather was, and, and we served alongside there. And then with faith music missions, the ministry that we have here at our church still, um, we went to a lot of conferences and camps and I, I just, the rest of my life from age 12 up till Bible college, I took sermon notes like, like they were right. gold because I wanted to know how did how do they get up there and do that? And I paid attention to how they started and how they ended. I paid attention to how, how they told a story. I yeah. analyzed everything over and over and over and over again. And I would, uh, it wasn't Bible college did not teach me how to alliterate evangelists taught me how to alliterate and I'll never forget that that it dawned on me. I'm like, Oh, these start with the same letter. You know, it was crazy. <laughs> but to me, that was intriguing. It was like, wow, that's cool. You know, this is, this is awesome. Then I went to Bible college at golden state Baptist college. And if there's a statement that brother Trevor is known for, it's the ministry is great. The ministry is great. And I heard that before I went to Bible college from him. And it stuck with me and I thought, you know what? It is great. And so now even the hard days of ministry as pastoring are they're they're softened. They are, the impact is softened by the reality that this is what God wants me to do. Yes. Um, I'm confident in that. And I I can't explain it other than to tell our listeners that, that I'm, I'm in constant amazement and yet total security in what God has me doing. And he could, change everything tomorrow. I get that. I realize I have to be completely yielded to that. That being said, I have I have looked at a lot of different things. I'm a police chaplain with the Indiana Conservation Officers District 7. And the more I'm with that, I love what I get to do there. I realize I know that God did not call me to be a policeman. Um, I went up and prayed at, at the Indiana State House here recently, and I was around all of the the excitement of that. And I'm telling you, you go into that arena and it is exciting. I mean, it is blood pumping, high pressure, uh, Washington, D.C. is the same. And you think as a young person, man, I would love to do something like this. And the more I'm around that, the more I realize God does not want me to do this. It's as if as I'm aging and getting older, God is further confirming he has me where I where he wants me, not to the degree that I'm just becoming apathetic and and just kind of digging in and and, and not, uh, not growing, but that further confidence is actually the opposite. It's pushing me to go to, to new levels. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I had a conversation just recently with um, another gentleman. He's probably 15 years older than me. No, no, he'd be, he'd be within eight years older than me. And he said, you know, Stephen, he said, when we got out of Bible college, he was referring to me and, and himself, actually. He said, I feel like there was this understanding that we were being brought into a ministry to fulfill a role and we were happy to do it. He said, I know we weren't perfect. I know that we weren't polished, but we got in, we got to work. And that's what I, I would love to see my children grow up. If God would call them into ministry, I want them to, I want them to jump in with both feet. I want them just to, just to go do it. You know, it can be intimidating. People don't realize how intimidating it is to walk into a bedroom, uh, a bedroom or a hospital room of someone who's about to die and pray with them while they take their last breath. That's big mm-hmm. stuff. But you just jump in and you do it. You follow God and you let God lead and you you just 
don't hesitate uh, other than to pray (laughs) and, and get after it, man. I don't know. I love it. So we had, you'd mentioned at the beginning of the podcast about how this, this whole conversation enters into a criticism of us and a well-intended one that we address things too much from a pastoral perspective. And I think there's, there's a, a, a facet of this or an angle of this that I want to take a moment and shine a light on. Let me tell you a brief story. The summer I turned 20, I think was between my sophomore and junior year of college. And I told my dad that summer I wanted to take him camping for a week and I was going to pay for everything. And so I, I planned different events. And one of the things I planned to do was without his knowledge was go back to our home church, the church he had pastored for 18 years, which we had left two years before that. And I'd arranged this with his successor, I, that we would go back for a service, and unbeknownst to my father, I would get to preach that night, and that church, the church my dad pastored for 18 years, First Baptist Church in McDonald, Ohio, would license me to preach that night, and he would get to participate in that. He would get <laughs> to see that, and that would be my gift to him. So not an ordination, but a licensing to preach. So we did that. What I did not know is that that pastor had gone to my mother and asked if my mother wanted to give a testimony that night. My mother drove down from Michigan, and so she surprised me. She was there for that night. And she got up, and she gave a testimony. I'm 20 years old. I surrendered to preach six years previously. I'd already preached several hundred times at that point. I was halfway through Bible college. I was very committed in, in my intention to preach. My mother got up, and she told a story about how her first four children were girls and that she had prayed that God would send her a boy next. And I knew that part of the story. What I didn't know until I learned it sitting on that platform, as my mother shared the testimony with the church and with me, is that not only did she pray and ask the Lord that God would send her a son, but she prayed and asked the Lord that God would send her a son who would be a preacher. Mm. And, I mean, the hair on the back of my neck stood up, you know, because here I am 20 years later. This is the first time I've heard this, and I'm about to receive my license to preach. And this is where it enters into you know, the church as a whole, right? how many more preachers would be sent if people would pray like my mother prayed for their children wow. or for someone else's children, right? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Is the fact that young preachers are not surrendering as much, not just as much an indictment on the entire church, loosely speaking, as it is the younger generation? I'm, you know, every message I've ever preached, every counseling session I've ever held, every class I've ever taught, every blog post or book I've ever written, everybody I've ever helped in some sense goes back to my mother's prayer life. Yeah. That's a challenging thought because I think every listener should ask themselves that question right now. When's the last time you prayed that God would send someone from your family or your church into gospel ministry? The Bible, Jesus commands us to do that as disciples. Wow. Man. So then, it, go ahead, Martin. No, I was going to say, I think there's there's a lot, and we may get into this later, so I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I think there's a lot that the uh, regular, you know, non-pastoral leadership, whatever you want to say, um, there's a lot that the individual can do to help young men going into the ministry. Uh, and so on the one hand, I know this is a very kind of ministry focused, pastor focused episode, but you could be 
you know, a man, a woman, you could be a teenager, you can be an old married couple or whatever. You have something vital to do in praying for young men to be called into the ministry in encouraging them and trying to help them in some way. So this, this really is an episode for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's rattle off some things here. Why should young men consider the ministry? If there's a young man listening to this podcast who has has an, even an inkling of a desire, um, why would they consider that? Go ahead, guys. I'll throw uh, an idea out here. I think young men should consider the ministry because I think every Christian needs to ask the question of Romans 12.1. Yep. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable mm-hmm. unto God, which is your reasonable service. Every Christian needs to put their life on the altar. That's the term sacrifice there, right? That sacrifice is giving its entire life. Not that God calls every Christian for their entire life, but every Christian Mm -hmm. needs to ask that question, God, how do you want me to serve him with how much of my time, how much of my money, how much of my life? So in a sense, I think young men should should ask that question because I think everybody should. I think that's 100% true. I've heard it in terms of, you know, missionaries that the assumption is, I will go, Lord, do you want me Mm -hmm. to stay? And we yeah. can maybe bring that into young men considering the ministry in, in terms of, you know, Lord, I'm willing to serve you. I'll be a pastor. I'll be a missionary unless you show me otherwise. And I don't, I wouldn't put that across in kind of a, a high pressure technique or anything, but simply saying, you know, say to the Lord, I'm willing. Do you want me to serve you in this capacity? I Did I ever tell you guys I surrendered to be a missionary when I was 18? <laughs> yeah, I did. and And it was because I didn't want to. And I knew God was that's funny. very I much the exact same thing. Yeah, oh, I I, I'm telling you, God was dealing with me not about being a missionary, but about being willing. Yes, and and yes. at one of those conferences, youth conferences, again, you know, I know that I know they can be done wrong, but in my opinion, the ones that I'm referring to right now were not done wrong. So just just know that. But um, my brother Reno Likens was preaching actually, and he said, "Look, guys, some of you need to surrender to missions." He said, you haven't surrendered and God needs missionaries and he wants to send us, you know, whatever he said. He said, if you'll come down here right now, um, we, I want to have prayer with you. And I remember God just said, you need to go down there. And I'm going, wait a minute. I don't want to be a missionary. You didn't call me to be a missionary. I think you want me to be a pastor. And I went anyway because I said, you know, I just got tired of the Holy Spirit <laughs> just, just beating me up because I knew I knew it wasn't an issue of whether or not I should go. It was an issue of being willing to go. Amen. So, you know, we used to pray for missionaries to China once. Go ahead, Martin. What, Martin? Sorry, I was going to say, I, you know, I was willing to be a missionary and thought the Lord had called me for the longest time. But on one occasion, I refused to pray for a missionary to China because I was afraid the Lord was going to send me. <laughs> <laughs> I love those private struggles that that yeah. do happen, yeah. you know. All I right. What's another one? I, re- I refuse to go to Hawaii, but he hasn't. Oh, yeah. It doesn't yet. work in reverse. Reverse psychology does not work. On so I, to answer your question about what's another one, I, you know, we've talked a lot about young men in relation to ministry. One of the reasons that that appeal for consideration goes to young men, which is a valid reason for them to consider it, is because their life is not nearly as cluttered, for lack of a better word, as, you know, the man who's you know 42 years old and he's got a wife and three kids and a mortgage and a dog and a truck and a yeah. You know, his life, he's balancing his marriage and his career and his parenting and his education and his health. And when you're when you're a young person, it's just you and your future. Right. 
And right. I, and as a younger person too, you have you do have more energy to invest in learning. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and ministry, but I think I think investing energy in learning is by far more important at that stage of of you know young adulthood. Um, and so many other other things like that, but um, I guess in order to move it toward the finish line here, then if a young person says, okay, you know, I don't know what God has for me, but, but I would be willing, you know, what can they do to, to ask God to reveal to them whether or not, you know, I, I would be much more uh, in, how, how can I say this? I would be much more supportive of the approach of a young man saying, I don't know if I'm going to be in ministry, but I'm going to surrender and let God tell me yes or no than to say, I don't want that and and I'm going to resist it and be a Jonah. So young people right now, whether you're called to vocational ministry and or if you're called into lay ministry, because it would be one or the other, how can they consider the ministry? I, I wish more young people, and I wish this for myself 30 years ago. Sure. I wish I had talked with someone about it. Mm-hmm. All those considerations going through my mind, I'd walk along my paper out day after day, holding this up like a like a to the light from all these different angles. And that was good for me. That process was good for me. And and the Lord used that. But I wish that I had had I wish that there was someone that I had taken my my ponderings to who could have walked me through the word of God or given me not made decision for me for my life. Right. but given me some godly perspective on what I was going through. And so I think one of the things I would encourage young people, if they're if they're genu- genuinely considering the ministry, if you don't think you can do it with your parents, if you don't think you can do it with your pastor, find someone besides just your friend, Steve, Stephen, <laughs> um, but find someone that you can you can go to and say, you know, I'm, I'm considering this. I don't want to make a premature decision. I, you know, I, I want to make a careful one. This is what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. Can you can you give me any feedback on that or response to that? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. There's safety in the multitude of counselors. And I think in a firm in the call, I was, you know, my pastor would always teach me that, you know, you should look for some clear indication in the scripture, um, a clear call that you just know. Uh, but is all is that confirmed by people around you, which is where I think the counselors come into it. Um, there was a verse that really stood out to me in Psalm 94 and it's the Lord, you know, it's, it's the psalmist asking the Lord to speak up and be a voice for him. But I kind of read it as well. Who's going to be the voice of the Lord on earth? You know, who's going to be willing to speak his word? And, and that was kind of a scriptural burden I had. Um, and then I just knew myself, but then when others started to notice things in my life, my pastor, other members in the church, you know, that helped confirm what God was already doing within me. Charles Spurgeon, I think it was in letters to my students. He He's a big proponent of that. If you're called into ministry, number one, there will be a distinct call. He said, I think the second thing he said, though, was it will be obvious to others. Absolutely. And there will there will be a clear now that doesn't mean that God doesn't choose the the base things of the world, the simple and and we've got to be careful not to underestimate anyone if God puts his hand on them. But that call to ministry comes with a distinct set of spiritual gifts as well. And so people can see 
people just go, yeah. And, oh, and maybe yeah. that's a little bit of why you got that, Tom, or or maybe not. I don't know. You know, and, are you going to be a preacher? In retrospect, <laughs> yeah. No, in retrospect, you might be right. I mean, I, both before and after in those years, it was not uncommon at all for total strangers. I mean, total strangers in churches, in grocery stores of all places to right. just look at me and say, are you a preacher? Yeah. And, you know, it just, it, it, I completely agree with that. Yes. So I, I, uh, I'm with you there, Martin, on that, because I think, I think that um, if Charles Spurgeon says it, that's, you know, it's right next to Bible. So no, I'm just kidding. Um, I like it when Spurgeon agrees with me. Yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> it was not a Margaret Thatcher <laughs> quote, but it Spurgeon. was a Charles Spurgeon quote. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, once you've, once you've surrendered and once you've affirmed, said, look, oh, and by the way, we shouldn't skip this because it's important. You need to be walking closely with the Lord. And if you're not walking closely with the Lord because you're running from God, then maybe you would know. But I think that, that sometimes it's, it's funny how that people think, well, you know, I think God wants me to be, I've had people tell me this, well, I, I feel called into ministry. And I'm like, dude, you're not even reading your Bible. Yes. Mm-hmm. And as a pastor, I'm saying, I, I know this. I'm not, I'm not, not just wondering if they're reading their Bible. I'm like, dude, you're not. I know you're not reading your Bible uh, and you'll, they'll tell me they're not reading their Bible. They're, they're struggling with addictions. They're going through all this stuff. And then they're like, God wants me to preach. I'm like, eh, you know, you need to, you need to get that call through a total surrender and a very, very, um, loyal walk with God. So don't, don't neglect to pray. Don't neglect to, to let God guide you through the word of God. It's not just this, this mystical, um, emotional pull on your heartstrings. It's got to be guided by uh, by Scripture through prayer and yes, the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. Would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Yep. Certainly. Tom had a Tom had a like a, a questioning look on his eye, on his eyes there. No, he no, no, no. I, well, I was thinking of several people <laughs> I've dealt with as a pastor who <laughs> I think they're trying to like revolutionize their life, you know, yeah, almost like the old, you know, I'm going to go forward and rededicate myself. So their way of doing it is I'm going to be a missionary. And I'm like, yes, dude, you can't even get to church on Sunday morning, three weeks out of four. Yeah. You no, know, you are yeah. not going to be a missionary. You don't even know where the book of Exodus is. And it's I, like the guy I, I it's like harsh. the guy in Bible college, the guy in Bible college who gets saved five or six times a semester so he doesn't get kicked right. out. That's uh, yeah. Right. I, I knew you were thinking of something because Tom has this thing where he stares directly into the sunlight of his window off and to the right and it's almost like we've lost him for a few seconds. So that's <laughs> that's what happened and I went, "Whoa, wait a minute. Hold on. I got to got to make sure I said the right thing here." Something's um, Yes. <laughs> uh, the other thing that you can do if God is is leading you into ministry, uh, you need to associate often and deliberately with men who are in ministry, starting with your pastor, starting with your spiritual leadership. Um, I think that's important to say because in this day, this is it's even different than when I was a teenager and, and a young adult. People are being pastored by the internet. And, and Ooh, I don't, yeah, I don't think that's a, to go there, look, I don't right. think it's bad. I don't think it's bad for someone from my church to listen to your services. Okay. I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that bad. Okay. But we have a lot of preachers and, and some of them may be good men who have large ministries who are, people go listen to their stuff every week and that's fine. But the reality is, is that man's not visiting you in the hospital. He's not doing your funerals, your weddings. He's not, he's not laboring for your family. So trust that God puts you around someone. And, and I've heard people even say that, you know, my pastor wasn't good at this, that, or the other, but he loved God 
And he taught me what it meant to be a preacher. And that's what God can do with someone in your life. I mean, Martin, you had that. I love Martin's story because it was like, definitely God. You know, no one was pressuring him. Uh, not that ours were not definitely God as well, Tom, but uh, just for what it's worth. <laughs> I'm thinking of like a burr. You know how you get a burr and you can't get it off? And that's what <laughs> yeah. I was to several yeah. preachers when I was a, when I was a teenager. I just mm-hmm. haunted them. And I'm sure they would come out of their office and be in despair because I was standing there oh, yeah. again. No particular purpose. I was just there. I would write letters. Yeah, I would write letters to camp camp preachers and and I, I'm like, I would hate to see those letters now. I'm sure they are wildly embarrassing. But I know a few guys who say I to have a copy, please uh, send them yeah. either me <laughs> or Tom. And I know some them. of the guys. I know some of the guys who have those letters. They're like, oh, yeah, man, Steve used to write me every year after camp. And I'm like, oh, no, don't burn them all quick. <laughs> but that was just my heart. I mean, I was simple in it. I was certainly not refined in, in how I was. I was probably over the top in it. Um, but it was sincere. Well, I think know, we kind and, of and mentioned this in the mentoring okay. episode that you need to associate with the people you want to be like. And so right. if you feel like you're called to preach, hang around preachers, hang around pastors. And really, that's probably how I ended up for the first time meeting my wife is we had a group of, uh, of Christians, you know, Pastor Norman Ute and some others come over from the States. And so I went to spend time with them. And it just so happened there was this 18-year-old young lady who was with them on the team that year that I had no idea about, but I was there to hang out with the preachers. Now, my, my goal definitely changed afterwards, <laughs> but I wanted yeah. to hang out with preachers and pastors. Yeah. How, how soon after you surrendered to preach, Brother Russ, did you preach your first message? So I surrendered when I was 12. I preached my first sermon. I believe I was 15, maybe 16. Yeah, yeah that's too long. Yeah, you know, there may have been one sermon that I preached in a in a, a Christian school, like uh, Fine Arts Steel. I'm thinking back now. Yeah. But I remember... I remember where I preached. The The first one sermon I remember preaching was when I was 16, and uh, it was atrocious. Oh, yes. No, absolutely. Yes, mine were all <laughs> atrocious, too. I, I completely agree with that. But it really helped me to start preaching. You know, my, my youth pastor, my mother ran our children's church. She invited me down. My youth pastor invited me. Um, to preach short sermons, but I got yes. to start. It's almost like anybody else. If you surrender to be a soul winner, we'll start this week. Let's go. You know, let's go. And so I, I, right. I think there's real value to that. In if you're going to be a preacher, then preach. Pick a nursing home yes. and go there and preach a message. Yes, yeah, that's a good point. That as someone who is called to do something, ought to begin preparing for it immediately and practicing immediately mm-hmm. um, in an environment where they can fail. And that's yes. You know that the Lord has a lot of mercy and grace. You're you're supposed to enter into the pastorate not being a novice. Well, how are you going to overcome being a novice Mm -hmm. unless you practice? So, listen to preaching and preach. Preach in the car. Preach in your bedroom. Preach. You know, put the phone away and preach. Do whatever you have to do. Don't be embarrassed, man. I mean, that's the thing. Is like we're so embarrassed by by this stuff. And when you're beginning, everything's embarrassing. Everything is hard. Everything you're, you're you're struggling to get the form right. Uh, but get after it, get into a nursing home, ask your pastor if you can share a testimony in Sunday school or, or something of that nature, youth group, if you're that young. Um, and uh, those kind of things really help. The Lord gave me a very unique and I, I recognize a very privileged opportunity at the time was my grandfather bought a radio station. 
and he was desperate for people to be on the radio. So I was 16 years old and he said, Hey, you're on the radio every day for 30 minutes. You're going to do a teen broadcast. Everyone who listened was over the age of 80 and they would always call and say, that was such a fine message, Sonny. And I would say, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. But I, I, I stole every sermon I ever heard and repreached it. Um, uh-huh. I, it wasn't perfect, man, but it was practice. <laughs> and, you know, I think you hit on something there, which everybody in the congregation can do, is when there's a young man who's called to preach, encourage him. When he gets Amen. up and preaches his first sermon, it's probably not going to be his best, uh, but encourage him. You know, Give a genuine right. word of encouragement. Say what you appreciated about it. And as he develops, there's going to be opportunity you know, for, for those close to him to get alongside and say, you know, I really like this, but, you know, consider slowing down, consider using more inflection in your voice and give constructive, yeah. constructive criticism. But, you know, initially just build them up and encourage them and yeah. help them along the way. And that's something which every believer should do to encourage younger men in the ministry, because how, again, how does this apply to everyone, not just ministers and, and you know, whatever? Well, if we don't see more young men coming into the ministry, we're going to see fewer pulpits being filled and we're going to see churches closing. Yes, we are. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And the last thing I'll say, I don't know if you guys have any more to add, but um, if you're called to preach, go to a, go to a training place, go to a Bible college, find a place where you can, where you can um, trust the preacher who is at the helm uh, or you appreciate their preaching for, for all the right reasons and go to a place where you're going to get a good education and learn. Uh, that that may be more conducive for someone who's coming out of a high school into college than it would be a, a middle-aged adult. You know, Tom, you kind of touched on that earlier. But you're going to have to do something to get uh, get the training that you need. There's one other thing I wanted to mention, and I largely agree with that. You know, in some form or fashion, you should be training and, and moving forward in your in your plan. Um. After I surrendered to preach as a teenager in high school, it really helped me to view every decision through the lens that I had made that night when I was 14. You know, I mentioned earlier that in my mind, I was like pulling curtains down on things. Well, that impacted who, what girls I was interested in and what girls I wasn't. Right. It impacted what I wanted to do for a summer job and what I didn't. It, it drove my decision to travel with an evangelist instead of saving money for college because I thought mm-hmm. the former was a wiser long-term investment, and I was right. It was. Mm. So those sorts of you, – you, you, it, it drove the music I listened to and the music I didn't. I, I viewed all those decisions through the lens of, is this going to further me as a preacher of the gospel? I'm not saying it was perfect. It's not the impression I want to give, but it impacted – from the time I made that decision, impact, it impacted everything I did as a teenager. Yeah. Well, two things I would finish with. Um, you know, one is during this recording of the episode, I've been running a, a poll on Twitter and asking the question, what stage of life were you in when God called you to preach? Um, 17% have responded with uh, being, you know, preteen, 47% were teenagers, and 35% were adults. And it'll be interesting to see how that fluctuates as it goes on. Uh, but I would kind of, adjust what Stephen was saying. If you feel called to preach, but you can't go anywhere else, you can't get away. You know, there are, there are correspondence options, but I would say to pastors, 
we have got to be better. And I say we collectively about raising up men from within our own ministries. Uh, We need to be able to do, if we do have someone who comes and they're an adult, they've got, you know, a crazy busy life already and they can't go away, then we need to be able and willing to train up a man to the best of our ability. And so even if he can't go somewhere, we can get him as ready as we possibly can. It's a local church responsibility, not a college responsibility. Yeah, great. We've got to be deliberate about encouraging men into the ministry. Um, We don't want to force the issue, but we want to do our part to encourage others. Amen. I 100% agree with that. Well, gentlemen, this has been good. I think think our heart in this, at least mine, was was to leave people with the understanding that the three of us do love ministry. That's not a pat in the back. Mm -hmm. That's that's how we feel in our heart. It's actually very humbling as opposed to exalting when you consider that God is allowing you to do this. And, um, and we, we love what we do. We, we want God to let us do it for, for life um, and trust that God will call others as well. We, we, need, we need young people, young men to be surrendered to ministry. And, and we're praying that this episode has a little bit to do with maybe someone surrendering their life Um, And if that's the case, you just let us know. We'll be praying for you. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.